The two questions we're trying to answer when we encounter someone new are, is this someone I can trust? And is this someone who is going to do something useful for me? I'm David Oti, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. In this content episode, come with me to explore some ideas that jumped out at me from watching the excellent speakers who presented at the annual meeting of the National Speakers Association, a three-day event called Influence. Together, we'll look at how you build your influence as an expert by making a connection with your audience, because that's the first thing your audience is looking for. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Oti, and as you may be aware, on this program, we have a mix of content and conversations, and this episode is going to be what we call a content episode. Instead of hearing a conversation with a guest, what you'll hear in this episode will be some of my own ruminations on a conference I just returned from recently. This is the annual meeting of the National Speakers Association, an event called Influence, which drew, I think, between eight and 900 participants from all over the country uh, to a convention center in Nashville, Tennessee. This was my first time attending Influence, although I've been a member of the National Speakers Association for a few years now. And I was struck by how consistently the speakers that I saw, these excellent speakers, the ones who were selected to come speak to the speakers, how consistently they did one thing. And you're going to find out what that one thing is in just a moment. The Power of Story and Science is a program that I started over two years ago now, really dedicated to the idea that if you do any kind of technical or quantitative work, if you're a scientist, an engineer, an IT specialist, even a financial professional who speaks in terms of quantitative analysis, numbers, data, bits, that your work can change the world but only if the world knows about it. And that's why the theme of this program, and this is doing a, a bit of a reset because I haven't really stated this for a number of episodes now, the theme of this program is really how do you tell the story of your work? Telling the story is key. If you are, for example, a scientist, you're trained to find the story in your data. Do you share that story with others, or do you share the data? So here's what I experienced when I went to Influence 2022. I saw a number of excellent speakers give speeches on a number of different topics and for a number of different purposes. There were people telling of their journey to overcome obstacles in their life. There were people talking to speakers about how to build their speaking business. There were people talking about mental health aspects of being a speaker and also aspects of talking about mental health 
because that is certainly something that needs to be talked about. We need to overcome the stigma around that. But here's the one thing that I noticed, and this was true for every speaker on that main stage. And I saw, I'm not sure how many, uh, close to a dozen over three days. Here's the one thing every one of them did. They all managed to establish rapport with their audience through their introductory material. Before they got into what you might call their hard content, before they got to their first of three points about how to do this, that, or the other, they established rapport. How did they do that? Most of them did that by sharing personal stories. Now think about that for a moment. You've got limited time on that stage. You've got an audience with high expectations for the quality of the content that you're going to deliver. And yet you don't come out, or these people didn't come out on the stage and start with their main points. They started by building rapport through their stories. And that, to me, was the biggest takeaway of the entire three days that I was there. You'll often hear someone say, get straight to the point, tell me why you're here, tell me what I'm going to get from this, from this presentation. And there is truth in that. It is important for speakers to provide a roadmap early on of where we're going and how you're going to get there. It is also important to establish that rapport, that trust, because audiences don't wait very long to decide, is this someone I like and trust? Is this someone I'm willing to listen to for the next 30 or 45 minutes or however long this presentation is going to go on? Am I someone that you like and trust and are willing to listen to for the 20 or 30 minutes that this program might go on. You're thinking that. You're wondering it. And my hope is that by the time you encounter this episode, you'll have encountered other episodes and decided that this program holds something of value for you. By the way, if it does, please let somebody else know about it. So let's talk about this issue of establishing rapport. Amy Cuddy, C-U-D-D-Y, is a, or was, uh, at the time of this book's publication, a Harvard researcher. She published a book by the title, the one-word title of Presence. Presence was the title of her book. Sorry, I don't have the publication year in front of me, but it's a fairly recent book. And in it, what Amy Cuddy did was to look at research that, among other things, addresses the question of how do we form first impressions of people? And what she found that the research said is that we very quickly seek answers to two questions. The two questions we're trying to answer when we encounter someone new are, is this someone I can trust? And is this someone who is going to do something useful for me? In psychological terms, we are assessing very quickly 
two factors which psychologists would call warmth and competence. Warmth and competence. Warmth, is this someone I can trust and relate to and connect with? Competence, is this someone who offers me something of value? That is, they can do something useful for me or give me information that will be useful to me. And what I find interesting, according to Amy Cuddy, is that we answer these two questions in that distinct order. We look for warmth first before we assess competence. Now, from an evolutionary standpoint, that makes perfect sense. When you encounter a stranger in a dangerous world where your survival is not assured, you need to know if that stranger is likely to kill or rob you before you concern yourself with the question of is this stranger someone who can help me build a fire or hunt dinner? Warmth, trustworthiness before competence, helpfulness. Now the interesting thing to me is that so often when I watch speakers, especially speakers who provide technical information, scientists, engineers, other quantitative analytical thinkers, when I watch such speakers, which question do you think they're trying to answer first? We as scientists and engineers, and I count myself an engineer, spending having spent 25 years plus in broadcast engineering, I do have a degree in physics, although I don't consider myself a scientist. I don't have a PhD in that. But I have a science and engineering background. And I see over and over that people like me, and perhaps like you, find it very important to establish their credibility. I am an expert in X. I like to think, I like for you to think of me as an expert in communication for technical experts. But more than that, I want you to feel like you can connect with me. Trust me. And that's why sometimes I'll tell stories in the course of my conversations with my interview guests um, about times when I struggled with something. Because vulnerability is part of connecting with people. Over and over and over again, I see speakers who are so concerned about conveying their credentials. In fact, when you hear someone introduce a speaker, more often than not, what you're hearing that introducer read is not what we in the speaking world would call an introduction. Rather, it's a bio. Our speaker today has degrees from... XYZ universities and has been a prestigious member of this faculty and has blah 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 all the awards what's wrong with that your audience is always thinking what's in it for me with them w-i-f-f-m what's in it for me those credentials aren't for the audience they're for the speaker's ego now they may, to some extent, establish the speaker's authority to speak on this topic, but most often they don't. What they really do is they boost the speaker's ego. So, 
when you're that speaker and you're writing an introduction for someone to read when it's time for you to come on stage, always remember a bio is about the speaker. What you want is an introduction. An introduction is about the speech and why I should listen to it. So if I were to write an introduction for a keynote speech that I recently gave, it would focus on what is the speech going to be about and what are the benefits you stand to gain from hearing it. With maybe just a slight mention of the fact that I spent time in broadcast engineering because I'm perhaps relating to an audience of engineers. Always remember you're there to connect first and your credentials don't connect. Establish as you go what your authority is for speaking on this topic or put that bio in the program and let people read it. Start by establishing a connection. So thinking back to Amy Cuddy and her book and the research that she's cited, what people are looking for first is they're assessing warmth and then competence. And when you load up your introduction with credentials and accolades, what are you establishing? You're trying to establish competence and that's putting the cart before the horse. Personal stories establish rapport. Even if you're a scientist giving technical information, presenting data and analysis that leads to some breakthrough, some new understanding in your field, why couldn't you start with this? I'll never forget the day I walked into my lab and I saw the experiment results that changed everything for me. Ever think of starting a talk that way? You've got my curiosity peaked. Or better yet, I'll never forget the day I walked into my lab and after a string of failed experiments, I finally saw a positive result. When was the last time you heard a scientist talk about their experiments that didn't work? When was the last time you talk, heard an engineer talk about failures, unless it's someone who specializes in failure analysis? Yes, I'm here to tell you what we found out from this bridge that fell down. That's not a story of personal failure, most likely. Structural failure is different. When you are willing to let people peek behind the curtain and see that you are not just there as a source of data, a source of information, but rather, you're there as a fellow human being, a fellow traveler on this planet who happens to have been given the privilege of discovering something new that can change our understanding of the world or change something for this audience. Warmth before competence. Establish a rapport with your audience. Or what I like to say is, put connection before content and empathy before evidence. That's how you'll make a difference to your audience. That's how those speakers I saw at NSA Influence made a difference to their audiences. Another thing that I learned, another point that I learned at this Influence conference was the importance of taking creative risks. I suppose you could say that when I started this podcast two years ago, I was taking a creative risk. 
I had no idea how it would be received. I had no idea who I might hear from. No idea that I might hear from someone as far away as South Africa, who is a regular listener to the program. It was a risk. It was a risk in that, as a professional speaker, trainer, and speaking coach, I can't say specifically what is the link between this podcast and building my business. Does it build my influence? Does it make me seem more credible in the eyes of people who might choose to do business with me? Not knowing the answer to that question makes this a risk. But you know what? I'm committed to doing it. I'm committed to seeing this through through the foreseeable future because I think it is so important for us to engage in dialogue about the stories we tell about the world as well as about the discoveries we make. You see, when I was an undergraduate double major in physics and radio television film, people often ask me, David, why those two things? They seem so so disparate. Well, I've always been interested in how the world works and the stories we tell ourselves about how the world works, that intersection of the hard sciences and the humanities. I think we've got to keep working to bridge that gap. So what about you? If you are a regular listener or viewer of this program, there's a good chance that you identify yourself as someone who presents information. Maybe you're a scientist, an engineer, some other technical expert who wants to know more about getting in front of an audience and getting your message across. Well, what are the challenges that you face in doing that? Isn't it often true that the challenge lies in ensuring that your audience doesn't check out before you're done? Well, if you were to take a look at I don't have it in reach here. It's on the it's on the bookshelf behind me. If you were to take a look at the second of the books in my series for this called the Speaker's Quick Guide, the Speaker's Quick Guide to Technical Presentations, you would see that there's advice in there about avoiding the nine major pitfalls that stand in the way of most people giving a successful technical presentation. And those pitfalls include starting by Illustration, starting with your illustrations before you've started writing your talk, and even going back further than that, starting without a clear understanding of what your audience needs from you. Think back to the, con to the conference I just attended, the conference for speakers, for professional speakers, and the speakers that were up on the stage to talk to us were some of the best of the best. And they understood their audience. They understood that these were professional communicators, thought leaders, whether they were speakers, trainers, coaches, whether they spoke for a living, or whether they spoke in the course of doing the work that they did for a living, whether their business was speaking or whether they spoke to promote another business. They were in that audience to learn something about oral communication skills. And those speakers understood that. They understood that audience. 
So who is your audience? Who is your audience that you're preparing a presentation for? If you're planning a presentation and you haven't yet thought about the three key questions that will help you serve that audience, then I want you to write these down and start with them. You ready? Number one, why is this audience coming to hear you? Out of all the things they could be doing with their time, they're coming to hear you speak. Why? Why is this audience coming to hear you? Question number two, how will your message improve their situation? How will your message improve their situation? Because you're there to make a difference. Otherwise, you ought not be speaking. And number three, and this is the most important one, it's the longest one, so write it down carefully. What do you want your listeners to think, do, or feel differently when you are done? What do you want your listeners to think, do, or feel differently when you are finished talking to them? I am quite certain that every speaker on the main stage at the NSA conference I just attended was very clear in their own minds about the answers to those questions. And my hope, dare I say my expectation, is that now that you know that, when you're getting ready for your next presentation, that you will focus on those three questions as well. So be purpose-driven in your speaking. Be prepared to use what you hear on this program about story and about uh, other communication skills that we employ to engage with your audience. Put connection before content and empathy before evidence. Another, as it happens, Harvard researcher I often like to cite is Paul Zak, Z-A-K, who has studied the expression of oxytocin, a neurotransmitter in our brain. If you've been with this program for a while, you've heard me mention this before. This is the neurotransmitter that prompts feelings of empathy for another person. It's the neurotransmitter that is expressed when a mother nurses a baby. When you intimately caress someone, or if you don't want to go there, when you pet your dog. And it is expressed when you experience a story. A story that has a central character who is striving for something that they initially cannot attain. A story where there is some obstacle or struggle or conflict involved. And when you can tell that story and the overcoming of that obstacle, you get this surge of oxytocin flowing in all of your listeners' minds, and they will connect with you. They won't know why, but you'll know you've changed their brain chemistry. Empathy is the result of telling a story that expresses oxytocin. So empathy before evidence. Connection before content, empathy before evidence. I come back to those two statements over and over again. So I'm going to leave you today with this thought. 
how might you connect with me to have a deeper conversation about these topics that I've brought up today, about connecting with your audience, about putting connection before content and empathy before evidence, about the importance of a personal story, even in a very technical presentation. If you'd like to know more about those, if you have questions about them, or if you'd like just to understand how you can use these concepts more effectively in your own presentations, then here's what I would like for you to do. I would like for you to find a time on my calendar for a conversation. I always welcome the opportunity to talk with people who have encountered me through this program, The Power of Story and Science. How can you do that? I'm going to tell you explicitly. What you're going to do is you're going to type the following URL into your browser. It's called BreakthroughWithDavid.com. That will take you to my calendar where you can schedule what I call a breakthrough call. A free coaching opportunity, essentially, up to half an hour if you need it. An opportunity to talk with me via Zoom, and we can record the conversation so you can refer back to it. And what can you expect to get from that kind of conversation? The nuts and bolts of telling a story that prompts the expression of oxytocin in your listeners' minds, for one thing. The nuts and bolts of how to put together a presentation, whether you consider it a technical presentation or something else, but very practical tools you can use once I have a chance to talk with you and discover where you are in the development process. So please consider that my invitation to you. Breakthrough with david.com I look forward to seeing your name come up on my calendar if you'd like to learn more about this program you can go to the home page of this program simply by typing in storyandscience.com in your browser that takes you to the home page on my webpage and you can explore that more fully on your own but please consider getting on my calendar for a conversation. Love to talk with you. So to recap, warmth before competence. That's what people are looking for when they're assessing whether they're going to give you the gift of their attention. So put connection before content and empathy before evidence. I'm David Odie. This is The Power of Story and Science. And I'm so glad that you are a part of the story and science community. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening.